Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Well, I am excited to be with you, excited to convey to you how good God is. You know, over the past few weeks, our pastors have been before us, and they've been giving you keys and tidbits on how to be successful in your Christian life. And today, we're going to talk about having faith in every circumstance. But before we get started, let's pray, okay? Oh, Father, I am so excited to talk about how good you are. God, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that the words that come from my mouth are your words and your words alone. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the hearts of your people will be as freshly tilled soil and that your word will land on good ground and produce great fruit. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, our pastors have been talking to us about how to be successful in our lives and with our walk with the Lord. Now, last week, Pastor Jake said something that really touched my heart, and I thought, man, that is so true. He said that the Bible is, an, is a love letter, an intimate knowledge of God. And you know what? That is very true. The Bible for us tells us who God is. It tells us his insights about him. It tells us his personality his character, it lets us know his likes, his dislikes, what blesses him, what hurts his heart. But most of all, it tells us his thoughts toward us and his actions toward us. It is the key for us to know how our lives are going to run because God is faithful and he wants us to know about him. You know, in that, there's a lot of different things that go on in our lives where we can give God credit or we could not give God credit. Now, unfortunately, we as a society, we as a people, we don't give God a lot of credit when things go well. A lot of times, you know, you'll see people on the Grammys or the Oscars and they'll say, like Justin Bieber will say, I just want to thank God. And then he'll go on for 20 minutes about his talent, his producers, and all this other stuff. So people really don't always often give God credit for when things go well. But 95% of the people on the planet We'll yell at God when things go bad. We'll blame him when life doesn't go the way that they anticipated. We say things like, God hates me. God is ignoring me. Why did God allow this to happen to me? And if it gets worse, at its very worst, people become atheists and they decide that God does not exist anymore. So it's very important that we take a look at who God is and what his role is in our life. And one of the things I want to do before we really get into the meat of this thing is talk to you about the things that affect our lives. See, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on every day that God gets a bad rap for that he doesn't need to get. And so we're going to talk about those things very quickly, okay? Now listen, this is not an exhaustive list. Each one of these things could be a sermon by themselves. But we're going to go very quickly and kind of get a very quick tidbit on what these things, these things mean and how they affect our lives. So the first thing we want to look at is physical law. Okay, there are physical laws in life that we cannot violate that will cause harm to our lives, such as the law of gravity, right? If I chose to go up onto the roof of this building and jump off, gravity's going to kick in and I'm going to die. 
because I've gone against the laws of gravity. Also things like cause and effect. If I stick my hand in a fire, it's going to get burned. I'm going to get hurt. So there's laws there that you just cannot violate. Let me tell you one that touches a little close to home. If I eat poorly day in and day out, and I put junk in my body, I can't blame God when I'm 200 pounds overweight. I've been that, just to let you know. So there's cause and effect. The things that happen, these natural things in life that God has put into place to kind of keep us inside of this thing, we can attempt to violate and create harm for our lives. Okay? So physical laws. There are physical laws in place that you cannot violate that create problems in our life. The second thing is, and make sure I'm getting it right, is man's will. You have a will. In John 10, 10, it says that God has given us, I'm sorry, it is in, make sure I'm not mixing it up. Yeah, man's will. In Genesis, Genesis 2, 16. In the very beginning, in the very beginning of creation, God gave man a will. He gave us the ability to choose. Right here, he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And he puts Adam in this garden and he says, listen, this is good for you, this is bad for you. Don't eat this, but everything else you can have rule over and you can have to eat. Everything else in the garden is good. And what does Adam do? He chooses the poor thing. You have a will. You have the ability to choose good or bad for your life. And you may ask this question, well, why did God give man will? Why did he give them the ability to choose? He didn't have to do that. So let me give you an example of this. Let's say you're in a relationship with someone and you eliminate all the other people around their lives and you say, listen to me, you're going to love me, you have to love me, you have no other choice. That is not freedom, that is bondage. And God does not bond us, he sets us free. So he gave you a choice. It is much better for us to go to God and say, God, I love you. That's a relationship from the very beginning, from the time of creation. His whole thought was to be in relationship with us. So he gives you a choice to love him or not to love him. He gives you a choice to choose bad or to choose evil. You have a choice. Unfortunately, this week we saw someone choose poorly. The young woman that was driving down the street, doubled the speed limit down a windy road. She jumped the curb, hit a seven-year-old boy, and he died. Did God choose that? No, he didn't. That is not what God wanted. But unfortunately in life, we, we get a choice. And not only do we get a choice, the people around us get the very same opportunity to choose. And unfortunately, the person next to you can choose poorly and it affect you. Man has a choice. The second will that can affect our lives is Satan's will. Listen, Satan is not your friend. He will never be your friend. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. All he wants to do is to send your soul to hell. The only time the devil will be your friend is long enough to get you hooked on drugs, long enough to get you hooked on porn, long enough to get you in the noose so that he can hang you. But he is never your friend. He is real 
And he is out to kill, steal, and destroy every area of your life. So be aware of that. But here is something that God has done for you. Your will is stronger than Satan's will. Your will is stronger. Your will overcomes his will. And let me tell you why that is. The Bible says that if you resist the devil, he will flee. That if you rebuke him in Jesus' name, he has to be gone. If the devil was so powerful, he would shove it down your throat and you couldn't do anything about it. But God says resist him and he'll flee. So here's the thing. To say the devil made me do it is a cop-out and stop it. Because God's will is, your will overpowers his because of what Christ did for you on the cross. You are more powerful than he is. He has no authority because of Christ. Remember that. The second will that is over you is the will of God, which is John 10, 10 B. And it says, I came that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. That is God's will for you, that you would have life more abundantly. But let me tell you something. God chooses what abundant means. God chooses what abundant means. Here is what you cannot do. You cannot rub the Bible three times, Jesus pop out, and him grant you your three wishes. Right? You can't do that. We follow Christ. Christ doesn't follow us. You cannot sit in God's lap, tell him what you want for your life, and he wrap it up in a red box and a bow and him give it to you. He's not Santa Claus. He is God. And we must believe in the sovereignty, the truth, the all-knowing, almighty God in his plan for our life. Amen. Okay? So God is very honest with us because he knows all this stuff is swirling around. He knows that we have all these factors going on in our life. And because of that, he's given us two wonderful gifts, the Bible and prayer. Okay, he's given us those two things, the Bible, which is his word, which is his desire for us and the ability to communicate with him. But what we cannot do as people is this. There are some times that we believe more in the result of our prayer than in God himself. Do you all understand me in that? Sometimes we direct our prayers in a way and believe more than that than in the God of the universe. And you must have faith in God himself. Always. You must have faith in God himself. And again, because he knows all these things are swirling around in our lives and we're affected by what Satan wants to do and what people want to do and, and, and physical law, all these things, God gives us a warning. In John 16, he tells us what to expect. It says this, For I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have troubles and trials, distresses and frustrations. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of its power. And I have conquered it for you. See, he provided for us already. He's already done it. And lean in our faith into our circumstances. 
is what keeps us. It's what lets us know that God is for us. Now I'm going to take a few moments this morning and I'm going to share with you my journey. Okay, I'm 45 years old and when I was a baby, now I just thought of something, you guys just kind of wait a second because I know I just said 45 years and I'm going to start when I'm a baby and you guys are thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be here forever. (laughs) Well, you're not going to be. Okay, I'm just going to share a few basic things with you. And what I'm going to share with you kind of starts then. It starts when I was little. Because when my mom had me 45 years ago, I was born under two pounds. And back then, there were no neonatal units. They didn't have such a thing. So when the doctor came into my mom after she had me, he said, your miscarriage is breathing. But basically, you just need to go home and just let it go. Don't tell your other kids you even had a baby. It's just pretty much over. But my mother called my grandmother and told her what was going on. And my mother, who was a born, my grandmother, who was a born again Christian, said, "Oh no, I'm just I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to lean my faith into this storm." After the second day, I'd gained a little weight, but they told her, "There's there's just no hope. Just let this go because she's not going to be able to see or hear or have a conversation with you. She's not going to be able to walk. For all intents and purposes, you're going to have a very expensive carrot." on your hands, should she live? And my grandmother leaned her faith into that storm. Well, if you haven't guessed, I stand here before you well over two pounds, (laughs) right? And though I am not the smartest tool, the sharpest tool in the shed, I I have my abilities, and God is good to me, and he showed himself faithful. My mom still had to walk that journey. I still had a trouble, you know, there were a lot of issues when I was growing up, but I'm here. So let's fast forward. I'm 13 years old. I give my heart to the Lord. I've just, I've discovered him. He's wonderful. He's awesome. He saved my soul. One day my mother came to me and she told me, she says, Lisa, one of these days, I I just can't take this. I'm going to leave your dad. See, my dad, my parents' relationship was very bad. Bad is the only way to say it. There was a lot of domestic violence in our household, just a lot. We lived with it daily. My father drank, my father took drugs, he had affairs. It was just not a good situation. And my mother was tired of being beat up. And we were very close. And so she told me, you know, Lisa, that's, I just, one of these days I'm not going to be able to take it. And when I was 15 years old, I came home one day and she was gone. Now, what I didn't realize is she wasn't going to take me with her. So here I am. I'm 15. I'm in this situation. My father is very angry. He is very angry. And he goes on for a while, and I had other siblings in the home, and after several weeks, he kicked them out, left me. And every day, I'm telling you, day in and day out, sometimes at 1 o'clock in the morning, he would wake me up and ask me where my mother was. And I didn't know. She didn't tell me. She was basically in hiding. And this went on forever and ever. And it just got bad. He moved his girlfriends in the house. It was just really rough. But I was there. This is my only choice. But apparently it wasn't. Because I came home one day, and one of the cars that my father owned, he had fully packed up. He had changed the locks on the door. He handed me some money, and he said, you don't live here anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you don't live here anymore. He goes, because this is what I figure. When your mom finds out that you're homeless, she'll come out to find you, and I'll come out to find her. 
So I need you to be basically in distress. And I went to relatives' house and cousins' house and things like that. My father intimidated and threatened every single one of them. He's a pretty mean guy. And so I couldn't stay with him. So you know what? Two days after I turned 16 years old, I was living out of a car, sleeping outside of liquor stores and 7-Elevens, barely making my way, just trying to figure it out. But I knew I'd given my heart to the Lord. And I remember sitting in that car one night, having cleared the tailpipe about four times because of the snow, that I was just broken down. And God gave me this. It is in Psalm 27:10, And it says, if your father or your mother forsake you, but the Lord will take you up. And he became my father, giving me my morality, giving me my strength, and keeping me from all harm. That's what he did. One day I went to school because I maintained my grades. I was lettering in track and field. I lettered in music. He kept me. He kept me against all odds. I'm still living in that car, but he kept me. But one day after school, I was just, I just had to tell you guys, I was exhausted. And I was sitting in a classroom and the teacher asked me what was going on. And she was a born again Christian and I knew that. And so she, I told her what was going on. And she says, oh no, you're going to come live with me. And I said, no, no, I can't live with you. You're going to get hurt. My dad will hurt you. And she says, uh-uh, the Holy Spirit covers my home. And you're going to come live with me. And you know, I did, and my father never showed up. He never showed up. And I was safe. I would eventually see my mom. What I didn't know, she had started another relationship, and so I really wasn't a part of that. And so later on, you know, it was a very tumultuous two years. We'll just leave it at that where there were police called, where homelessness was there again. I never did go back with my parents. But I'll tell you, the day that they went into court for their divorce, I I had to go in too. And the judge said, you know, this young lady has been through so much. And she has managed to stay on the honor roll and let her in all these things, even without you guys. So I think that she deserves a break. God wants her, literally said, God wants her to have a break. I had interviewed for an international performing group and had made it. And so the judge said right then and there, you're going to take the money from your divorce and you're giving it to her and she's going to travel around the world. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. I spent the next... I spent the next year and a half in 17 different countries just taking it in, being able to see all that God is. Absolutely fantastic. God is good. Now, teenagers, don't be ratting out your parents so you can run off somewhere. God is good. You are blessed to have your parents. So let's keep going just a little bit. So, you know, all that, I work it all out. I come back and I meet the cutest little airman. And uh, he is fantastic. He's wonderful. We, we get to, we love each other. We meet each other. Um, his church is happy. My church is fa- happy. His family's happy. My family's happy. Everybody's excited because Christian girl meets Christian boy. We were honorable before the Lord. We kept that relationship pure and we got married. Let me show you a picture. Oh, I know. Look at him. Isn't that Fantastic. That brother, he's just tickled to death. So, and listen, don't make fun of my sleeves either. That was hip in the 90s. 
It was hip in the 90s, and so you guys just kind of let that go. So we get married, right? We get married, and we're all happy. And I think to myself, this is going to be the life I always wanted. I am married to a Christian man. All is happy. My church is happy. I was working for New Life Church at the time. This is where it all gets good. And we got married, and Christian man meets Christian girl, and we're going to have Christian babies, right? We're going to have Christian babies and potlucks because that's what Christians do. Right? We get together, we have babies, and we eat. So that's what we're going to do. So that's what happens. Six months after we, got, after we got married, I find that I am pregnant. And so we're just thrilled to be, just cannot be happier. But then it happens. About seven and a half months into that pregnancy, I give birth to a little girl. But I think, but remember, remember the story I've been told my whole life. Remember how I, how I came into the world. So now we have neonatal units, doctors, specialists, all this stuff, and God, right? This is a no-brainer. We're going to walk this thing out. But unfortunately, Eva, that's not what I got. This is what I got. I got a funeral. And it broke me, church family. It broke me. I couldn't figure it out. Wait a minute, God. We did everything right. You're my God. You're my Father. This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. I'm not even God, and I wouldn't have done that to me. So I didn't get it. It hurt me deeply. I said, God, you have disappointed me. I don't get it. And you know what? I sat inside my house. I went into this depression, and I sat in my house, and I said this. I, stood, I said it directly to God in the quiet of my home. Nobody there. I said, listen, God, you and I aren't friends anymore. I wouldn't have done that to me. And I don't get it. So here's how this is going to work. I'm not stupid enough to deny you. I know you're God, and I know you bring salvation. So I'm not going to deny you. But you and I aren't friends anymore. I'm not talking to you, and I don't trust you. Therefore, I'm going to continue to do what I know to do. But that's the end of this. And you know what, guys? I continued to work for New Life Church, continued to be part of the worship team. I continued to do all this stuff. Because, listen, when you have a crisis of belief, you can be one of two people only. You're a church-attending poser, or you're a follower of Christ. And I came into the church and I faked it even though my heart was broken. That's what I did. So what happened was I continued to serve. I continued to do my job. And one day I was at a women's retreat and I was working the book table. And the head of the women's retreat stopped everything. She stopped everything, called me into the room, and she said this, Lisa, God knows you two aren't friends anymore. He knows that all he is is a master to you. But he loves you. He's never left you. And he holds your baby in the palm of his hand. That did it for me. Because see, what I thought was, because I was having a struggle, because I was experiencing what I considered one of the worst things in my life, that God must have left me. And that God must not have cared. But that's not the truth. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. 
Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to do you good and not to do you harm, to give you a hope and a future. That's what he said. So listen, church family, I decided right then and there that I was not going to let God go because it was more painful not to have him present in my life than even the death of that child. So watch what happens. Fast forward. Same day I lost the first baby, seven years later, I would lose the second. On the very same day, But the devil's not going to get me this time. As we went to the hospital, as we were driving there, I said, "Uh uh-uh, God. No, I'm not letting you go. I don't care what happens in life. I'm not letting you go. And so I turned my faith into that circumstance. I turned it into it. I wouldn't let him go. I believed in who God is himself and not my circumstances. Not saying it was easy. But we had to walk that out. I would experience three miscarriages, second term and on. I would do that. But you know, in the middle of that, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide a family for you. And this is what I got. Go ahead, Eva. Oh, go back one. That's what I got. It took 13 years to get to that point. 13 years to get to that point. But that's how God blessed us with Jordan and Olivia, because he is faithful. Fast forward, May 2013. Go to the next one, Eva. That's my family now. And there's one thing I really love about this picture. Look at the determination in my husband's face. (laughs) Right? I love that guy. If you guys look at the two pictures, like the one when we first got married, that's a whole nother dude. Right? But he is precious and wonderful. But one of the reasons why I really like this picture is May 2013, we were about three days out from me going through cancer surgery. See, what had happened was I was here at the church and I was having all types of pain and I decided to go to the emergency room. And when I went, within four hours of MRIs and tests, they said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Edmonds, you have cancer. There are three large tumors in your stomach. And I was like, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? He's like, we don't even want to release you from the hospital. It's that bad. But I talked them into letting me go, went home, talked to my husband, hardest conversation I think I've ever had. And we're like, okay, what do we do? Over the next week, we go to about five different doctors, and they all said the same thing. The tests all came back bad. And they're like, okay, Lisa, you need to be prepared. Here's this piece of paper. You need to to sign off most of your internal organs and give us permission to give you a chemo port for up to six to eight rounds. And I came home and I'm like, God, okay, all right. I don't know what's going on, but I know that you're faithful. And I know that you're God and I know that you're good. I'm going to hold on to you and your word and that's what we did. Over the next few weeks, though, I would be prepared. Because I've seen, I've seen God. It's his will, okay? It's his will. It's not my will. God doesn't follow me. I follow him. And so I said, God, whatever you have for my life, you do. 
I'll be prepared for it. So I went and did all the things a person does when you know you're going to be down. I got my will ready. I did my life insurance. I prepared my house. I talked to my family. I did all that stuff. And we would wait and we would pray. You know, one day I was walking around this building because the hardest thing was for me to do was my family. See, if I die, the Bible says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I, I don't fear death. That's like, that's like no big. I get to see Jesus, right? But my family, Lord, I now have two kids. What happens if a 16-year-old girl and a 16-year-old girl lose their mother? What about my husband? He will overdose on bacon if I'm not there. <laughs> he needs me on so many different levels. Somebody tell him, Right? I said, God, but I've got, you know, whatever your will is. Listen, at the very last moment, when you're going into these major surgeries, right, I had let a research team come in. I was so bad, they wanted a research team to study the inside of me. Isn't that horrible? But that was the truth. And after everybody had come and prayed, and everybody was gone, and it was just me in that pre-op room, I looked at those four things. I said, God, I know what physical law is saying to me. I'm full, it's saying I'm full of disease. I know what Satan wants. He wants to kill me. But I'm going to believe what you believe and what you say. I'm going to align my will with yours. The only thing that rules over me, rules over you, is the will of God. And you have to choose his will. Amen. And so I just said, I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands, Lord. Well, I would wake up four hours later to my husband shaking me by the shoulders. Honey, wake up. Honey, wake up. No cancer. No cancer. Even the doctor was like, I feel this stuff. I see this stuff. I know how it works. But it's not cancer. And he threw in a tummy tuck. Right? And let me tell you something. It's so weird that I reveal that to people. If I ever chunk out again, it's going to be really bad. <laughs> but anyway, I tell you that because of this. I tell you that little personal tidbit because of this. The morning before I went for surgery, I was trying to find a bright spot. And I was like, I was walking through and I said, you know, Lord, at least if I have to go through chemotherapy, I'll be thinner. <laughs> That's what I had said, right? But listen, look at God. Not only did he heal my disease, he gave me the desire of my heart. Is that not like our God? That's why we trust him. That's why we follow his will. Listen, Romans 8. I want you guys all to write this down. Okay, Romans 8. I don't have time to go all the way through Romans 8. But Romans 8, Paul explains to us God's thoughts toward you, his will toward you, and the circumstances of your life. I'm going to go through some of it very, very briefly. Because it is so important. Know your Bible. It is not just a rule book. It's essential for your life. Know your Bible. Okay? So, starting in Romans 8, 1. He says, I have redeemed you. Walk in the spirit. Follow after me. He says, you haven't been given the spirit of fear. 
He says you've been adopted by God. You are a joint heir with Christ. You reign with him because you suffer with him. Listen, if somebody told you that being a Christian was riding unicorns and throwing fairy dust, they lied. We have a journey. Christ had a journey. Every person in the Bible had a journey. And so do you. Okay? So he says, suffer with him. This is my absolute favorite. In 18, it says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So get this, all the pain, all the struggle you have ever suffered is but a blip on the screen compared to the glory that God's going to reveal. They don't even compare. They're not in the same category. Not even close. And God gives you that as a promise. Then he says in 25, faith is believing in things you can't see. He's telling you straight up that you're not going to know everything. And he says, wait on God. Wait on him. Be patient in the storm. Trust him in the storm. Wait on him. One of my favorite singers says this. She said it in a tagline. Her name is Babby Mason. She said, when you cannot trace the hand of God, you must trust his heart. In other words, when you can't see how he's moving, trust his intentions toward you. If that's all you have is knowing his intentions for you, that's what you trust. Okay? 26 says this, that the spirit of God intercedes for us. Romans 8.28 says, For we know God causes all things to work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. He didn't limit it to good or limit it to bad. He says all things work to the good for those that love him or called according to his purpose. And this one is just fantastic. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor death nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing separates us from his love. He is always with us all the time. Matthew twenty-eight twenty says this. Teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close, to the end of the age. Psalms 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Now listen. Your faith in God is like this umbrella. It doesn't stop the rain, but it protects, your effect, it protects you from the effects of it. It could be raining all around you, but if you have faith in God, you are protected. When circumstances and problems come, turn your faith toward the storm. Because God is for you. He's with you. He's never left you. And he wants the best for you. Now this morning, I want to talk to a couple different people. Some people are in this room. You felt disappointed by God. He didn't do what you thought he would do. Maybe that person still died. 
Maybe your marriage still broke up. Maybe the house still got foreclosed on. And you are broken. I'm here to tell you today that God sees you. He's never ignored you. And he has never stopped loving you. And he is ever present in your life, even when it doesn't go the way you think it should. And you're here this morning because you know, like I did, even though you're kind of faking that you believe God fully, you know well enough that you have to have some connection to God. You want some connection to God, but you're afraid to trust him again. God is faithful. Listen, this morning, I had to have another person come and tell me and remind me that God is for me. This morning, if it's you this morning, if you're barely hanging on, if you're this close to being an atheist because you don't know if God is who he says he is, I want you to come down here in a few minutes and let us pray over you because God will show up. God will show himself to you. He will do it and you'll be able to trust him again. Now, some of you today are in the thick of it. You are in the crisis. Things aren't going well, and you're just hanging on. Well, we're here to pray with you and say, hang on some more. We're going to join our faith with yours this morning and stand strong. Because the Bible said, I would have fainted had I not seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see his goodness. Stand up with me this morning. The team is going to sing. And if that's you this morning, prayer partners, staff members, and elders, can you come forward this morning? Because we want to pray for people. Don't shy away from being back in connection with God. Don't shy away because he's present. I want to pray for you. I want, to, I want you to see him once again for who he is this morning. As we sing, come, let us pray because God is going to show up. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.